0: To the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of The Best of Fight Back from the week that was. What a different world it is, even over last weekend when it seemed like everything was being canceled or shut down. Public life, as we know, has been changing by the minute all week. If you've stayed with us for Zoomer Radio News and Fight Back with Libby Snymer, we are grateful that you've allowed us to help you and be your community during this difficult and challenging time. We're committed to keeping everyone informed and up to date with good information especially as it applies to Zoomers who are most at risk when it comes to this virus. We will also continue to alert you to any fake news that's out there and there is plenty of that. This past Monday even before Premier Doug Ford declared a state of emergency for Ontario Libby Snymer was joined by Fightback's Zoomer Squad, Zoomer Magazine senior editor Peter Mugrich, and David Kravitz, vice president at Zoomer Media.
2: There are so many different systems that have to ramp up instantly to deal with something on this scale. And I think the test will be um, we've heard what they're doing to correct it. Let's see what happens later today or tomorrow. But basically, if you look at the hospital system, the information system, websites, telephone, everybody's flooded. And we're not going to get a consistent uh, standard of performance for a while yet. And I think that it's it's regretful. I'm not, I'm not regrettable. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm not that surprised.
3: We've been told by the government. Do not show up at uh, a yeah. COVID-19 <laughs> assessment centre. You need an appointment. You can't get an appointment. You can't get through to telehealth uh, and you can't get through to public health. Uh, what is your reaction and, you know, what can you tell? Well,
4: you? I, I was going to ask, what do you do, right? Is there an alternative? Do you call your doctor? Or do you call, you know... The local hospital. I I just don't know what, what the alternative is, and I don't think they've done a good job communicating that yet.
3: Well, you know, what they've like, told us is to call public health or telehealth. <laughs> right, That's what right. they've told us. And they haven't
4: told us what else to do when you can't get through for two hours. Well, right? No, they it, haven't. Yeah. They, so, they
3: certainly haven't yeah. told us. I mean, at the best of times, you can't get through to them. So I don't know how they're even staying on top well, of I have having Well, people- I have
2: a family member getting elective surgery, and they were called by the surgeon, and it was postponed. And they were told it might be postponed again. So at least there was some proactive uh, outreach to were them. Were they given
3: another date? <clears throat> yes. Oh, okay. But-, but that date
2: may be in, fl- yeah. in flux. And- but uh, I don't think that it could have been handled better. In that case, they did reach out. They were contacted.
3: The other issue, Peter. I know you've been doing a great job on everything Zoomer, keeping people up to date. Uh, what can you tell them about what's available there?
4: Well, it's you know we have a primer there, and and it uh, it, it goes over all the um, symptoms, and 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 the symptoms are confusing because there's there's a nasty head cold going around as well, and and people think right away they think it's it's COVID. So a a dry cough is is a symptom of covid it's if you have like a a nasally cough or a shortage of breath and a dry cough are are two symptoms that you should look for but if you have a wet cough and a no sore throat, then it could be a head cold and and you, and the government is asking us to err on the side of don't call in if if you have a head cold so um it's it's know.
3: it's hard you have to you to, yeah. to, to self
4: assess right <laughs> yeah. right yeah. and
3: and people are are paranoid <laughs> I was in a grocery store. I mean, I have a runny nose. Runny nose is not a symptom of COVID nineteen. No. I have it every day of my life, and summer, all do, winter, in the winter, right? Spring? Yeah. No, but it, yeah. I have it all year all round. It's just it's it's my particular thing, and and um, you know somebody. Started being very paranoid. It was a, ca- a cashier saying, are you sick? Well, no, I'm not sick. And even if I have something like a cold, it feels very different
5: mm-hmm. than,
3: you, you know, and now we're going to have pollen and a lot right. of people we're are going to be sneezing yeah. because yeah. of the change of season. Yep. And yep. I'm in that know. club. <laughs> yeah, I'm in that club. A lot <laughs> yeah. of people are. I mean, there's I mean, a great
4: deal of paranoia out yeah. there, you know, and we need a week or two to, to just sort of settle down and figure it all out, you know. So right now we're we're in the... We're in the eye of the storm, right? And, well, and give us a week or two, and we'll, we'll, I think I think we'll be able to start figuring it out.
2: I I think this is going to be around long enough now. This self isolation or quarantine mm-hmm. to start to make some plans uh, and think it through. How would you operate day to day living? Uh, not going to work, living in the home, there's there's uh, online resources available for that, too. We're going to see a whole thing with uh, e-learning with your kids, for example, yep. many of the schools. There's many topics we haven't touched on yet. We will be responding as a society yep. to all of these. And not to panic. And okay. not to panic. That's and That's the key. Right. Be patient yeah. and look for the resources yep. to help.
1: David Kravitz, VP at Zoomer Media and Zoomer Magazine Senior Editor Peter Muggridge, our Zoomer squad on Monday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday, so five days ago, Libby was joined by two doctors to answer your questions and provide needed and important information. Here are Dr. Adam Kassam, physician and health writer, and Dr. Bob Bell, former CEO of the University Health Network and former Deputy Minister of Health.
6: Well, you know, the government's got some websites that are uh, suggesting the reasons why people should consider uh, getting Screen for COVID, the concept being that uh, only certain people will require testing. Those people probably have a fever, they probably have a cough, and they probably have some history of contact with uh, either foreign travel themselves or somebody who may have been diagnosed with COVID or have a travel history. Um, We saw the information from the Ottawa Testing Center, the off site from Ottawa Hospital Testing Center over the weekend where uh, lots of people went in and were uh, were first of all questioned as to their symptoms, and most of those people were not tested. So, a you know, Ontario's been doing quite a bit of testing, but uh, they're also conserving testing kits by ensuring that people who are being tested are being questioned. First of all, in the issue of both contact with somebody or travel history, symptoms of fever and a cough seem to the seem to be the important ones. Of course, uh, a lot of concern out there. The other source of information is, of course, primary care offices. The Ontario College of Family Practice has put out excellent information to uh, to people regarding, um, you know, the kinds of uh, uh, care for the health that should be taken. So calling your family doctor is also an excellent idea, not showing up at their office, but calling them and, uh, and getting their advice as well is a smart thing to do. Uh,
3: Dr. Kasam, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, again, should you, somebody need to be tested, they need to have an appointment, can't get through on the phones. You know, we know we want to conserve the test for people who really need the test, but, uh, you know, people have to figure out if they do or if they don't.
7: No, it's a good question, Libby, and, and just to Dr. Bell's point, there is a self-assessment tool that the Ontario uh, provincial government has recently released. I think it was yesterday or the day before, where individuals can go online and ask if they can fill out a form or fill out sort of the self-assessment tool to see if they need to get tested. Um, and I agree that we ha- we do have a scarcity of resources here. We we don't have enough tests. And if you look at other experiences across the world, uh, there's been there've been issues with rolling out numbers of tests that can adequately. Uh, you know, sustain the demand for these tests. So, for example, in Korea, they were doing ten to 15,000 tests a day, and we clearly don't have that capacity. So, um, you know, doing the self-assessment tool, there are now uh, physician codes that have been approved by uh, the Ontario Ministry of Health so that physicians can do a bit of triage through their telephone. So, as Dr. Ball was saying, if it wasn't through the public health uh, systems or the, the numbers that were available there, trying to ask your family doctor through uh, through the phone would be a reasonable next step for sure.
3: Okay, well, the is, are the codes the issue? We know they need a code to get paid for it, but uh, so you can call your family doctor and maybe you'll get through.
7: Right, right. So the codes have been approved since I think March 14th, and so they're 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 online and they're ready to go. And, and physicians, I believe, are
6: actually using them at this point in time.
3: Doctor Bell, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I
6: probably people in Ontario, the rest of Canada, should understand that there's enormous capacity that can be developed in our health system if we're actually in a situation where people need hospitalization with COVID. Certainly the the concerns that we've seen from Seattle, from northern Italy regarding hospitals being overrun are the reason why the government's taking steps now to increase social distancing, to take kids out of school, to try and avoid the pressure on the hospital system we've seen in other places to flatten the curve, as you've heard time and time again. And our system is well developed to respond. I think people should feel confident that the system can be there for us.
3: Okay, Dr. Kassam?
6: Yeah,
7: thanks, Libby. I think that uh, to echo what Bob is saying, I think that we just have to keep our our heads about it. I think we have to exercise caution and good judgment. Understand that we're all in this together, and that we're going to have to help and support one another if we're going to be successful with uh, with overcoming this, which we will. And so, you know, making sure that you're checking in on your loved ones, making sure that you're checking in on the elderly and, and other um, you know individuals, I think in your in, in your sort of social circle is going to be very important moving forward.
1: Physician and health writer Dr. Adam Kasam and Dr. Bob Bell, former CEO of the University Health Network and former Deputy Minister of Health, in conversation with Libby on Monday. You're listening to The Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was a quiet St. Patrick's Day this past Tuesday with a promise from Toronto Mayor John Tory that when the COVID-19 pandemic is behind us, he will hold a special celebration called St. Patrick's Day 2.0. On Tuesday, Premier Doug Ford called a state of emergency for Ontario, which comes with a $300 million funding package to beef up health care. But he also made it clear this is not a shutdown of the province. Essential services, food stores and drug stores are open, and we are assured there are no shortages and supply chains are operating normally. Other retail continues to operate, though some are on reduced hours or working online only. There have been many announcements, not just from Premier Ford, but also Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his many cabinet ministers. On Tuesday, Libby Snymer was joined by our crack strategy panel, all on the phone to do our part for social distancing, not long after Premier Ford announced the state of emergency for Ontario. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto. Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road.
5: I was expecting, I think, a little bit more, to be honest. I think, um, that, uh, with the premier of, of the largest province in Canada declaring a, a state of emergency and, and, you know, and making some really bold and, and tough decisions with respect to, you know, I think picking up on what Mayor Tory uh, it did yesterday and his health officials with respect to shutting down restaurants or at least recommending strongly recommending the shutting down of, of restaurants and bars uh and, and only opening them up to to delivery and and takeout, uh, I thought it was a smart move and, and timing wise obviously a smart move given the fact that today is St Patrick's Day and a lot of folks would have probably congregated in, in bars and whatnot so I think that was a, a smart move but the premier I think going the extra step was was obviously needed and 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 widely supported I think that the prime minister I think a lot of folks. We're expecting that the prime minister might have declared a bit more of an emergency sort of nationally. But look, having said that, I think, you know, we've got to be mindful of of the fact that politicians are all running to catch up on this issue. It's a a day by day, minute by minute um, evolving uh, crisis. And I think no politician in Libya wants to be caught not saying something or not being out there, uh, no, seeing that every politician is almost on a daily basis now making updates, and I think he needs to be out there making an announcement. Uh, and I think that's what it was. But you know, I think you know people just need to know that when when their prime minister does. Call for a press conference. Everybody nowadays are, are, is looking at it. It's no, you know, they're, they're, it's everybody's on absolute attention on this thing. So you know, you have to be careful and manage the expectation of those conferences when they happen.
8: In, in terms of communicating that there is, uh, you know, we need to collectively do our part to do social distancing and creating that sense of awareness in the community about, um, you know, why things need to close and flights need to change. You know, that part is. is I think that communication has been good. I think uh, moving forward, um, the ripple effects of the shutdown of the economy uh, are real and are going to start being felt very acutely very shortly. And so while everyone is going to continue to do their part, I think that um, the, I think there needs to be some some more clarity and to be honest with you, some more honesty uh, with people about what this is going to mean and what the government's actually prepared to do because right now we're hearing a lot about support for people who have been quarantined or who uh, self-isolate, um, and that there's going to be changes to EI. But what about all the people that are going to be laid off? Okay. And that's you, real. And well, we don't we, because we don't know how long this is going to go on for, and because they haven't given us any sense of, you know, when do the numbers of new cases going down, or, or at, at what point do we declare success on this, and then we can now resume our lives. And we don't know what that is, which creates another level of uncertainty. Charles, uh, your take,
9: please. The reality is our political leaders need to be out on this issue on a a near daily basis. And and frankly, I think the prime minister, the premiers, uh, Mayor Tory have all done a, a pretty commendable job in the midst of a situation that is fraught with both complexity and uncertainty. And Karen's absolutely right. I mean, we are probably talking about a situation that is going to be with us for several months. And in the absence of a vaccine, there's also the very real possibility of a second or third wave of COVID um, striking various populations, especially, um, when folks ultimately do go back to work full time, whatever that's going to look like. And it, you know, if we go, if we harken back a hundred years, it was actually the second wave of the Spanish flu that killed the majority of people, not the first wave. So that's something in the absence of a vaccine, which folks will have to take very seriously in terms of the options. You know, how do you, provide for someone who has lost their job and has no immediate prospects given that they're, they could very well be confined to their house for weeks or months. Um, those are really, really tricky public policy questions. I know um, finance officials federally, provincially, at the municipal level are wrestling with those issues trying to come up with something that will will be a coordinated response. Because we are a federation, Um, of different levels of government. That adds another layer of complexity. There are a number of tools that can be used, um, but what we are seeing is a, a stated willingness on the part of our leaders to explore all the options and to come up with something that will not leave people unable to pay the rent or buy basic necessities.
1: Charles Byrd, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Our Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. We continue to try at Fight Back to bring you the experts on the COVID-19 pandemic so you can get the answers to your your questions. Among the experts who joined Libby this past week on Tuesday, Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist and professor at the School of Public Health at Ryerson University.
10: So it 's happening uh, in just about all the provinces states uh, regions countries in one form or another it 's an attempt to, uh, to to have the distance uh, the, the distancing sort of uh, extend to the country 's borders now. This is really what 's happening What we found out is that uh, While hand hygiene and uh, and touching your face and all those other good things are really still important, we found out in the last couple of weeks that the amount of bacteria, the amount of uh, viruses that accumulate in the nasopharynx, you know, the back of your throat, is far more than they ever would have thought. uh, Right at the very beginning of the symptoms. Uh, vast amount of uh, virus there. And that almost by, suge- by inference would suggest that those viruses have been there before the symptoms start. And this might tend to go a little bit toward explaining these asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic uh, uh, infections that we're talking about. So it's the air. It's the people in front of you breathing, uh, dancing, so rather singing, uh, talking even. Uh, that's where the majority of the infection is probably happening.
3: Let's go over who needs a test because uh, it's actually, uh, at, at least as of yesterday, very, very difficult to get through to public health or telehealth. And uh, people want to know about this, but, but if you show up at a testing center without an appointment, you're not going to get a test and not everybody needs one, right?
10: That's exactly right. And in fact, it's a big sliding scale. In the very beginning, when you only have a, a handful of cases appearing, you may remember that. that thats Believe it or not, that's only about six weeks ago, when about half a dozen cases are there. People are swarming around them. Uh, there's, you're outnumbered as a patient many times by the people in white coats and, and, uh, and masks. Uh, and at that, that point, you, you test everything inside, all the, all the contacts and the relatives and friends and everything else, because you, you really want to know the extent of what's going on. Then it slowly slides to where we are now, where we're looking at testing people who really are presenting with some pretty obvious symptoms and uh, n- not just people who think they have a little tickle in the back of their throat because in the majority of cases that's a common cold or something like that. So, but eventually, uh, at the end, we, the third phase is when it's really running rampant, like, this, like we do with seasonal flu in a really bad year, where, you, where we don't test everybody at all. We just test a little sample to get an idea and we assume, that's why we use the word I influenza-like illness, and that's the figure that's collected.
3: Can you go over the symptoms, please that people should watch watch for.
10: Yeah, um, and this is the problem because it's so con- it's so similar in many regards to both the common cold and also, on the other hand, influenza. You, you we we do get a fever a fever condition with this, which you don't get with a common cold. You do with influenza. You get a dry cough here, whereas frequently with a, a cold or influenza, you get a, a, a productive cough. You know, there's phlegm down there. These are differences uh and it, you, we get aches and pains not so much with uh, the COVID. uh you do with influenza not so much with the common cold and uh, um, you'll get um uh, uh, there is a the, Beginning to see diarrhea now a little bit, but but not not so much. We don't get that with a common cold at all. So they do separate out a little. What so about really,
3: sorry? What about shortness of breath?
10: Shortness of breath is going to count. That's the that's the predominant one. That's the one that doesn't appear in either common cold or influenza, and that's probably the predominant one that people would say ah uh-uh, something happening here. And ultimately, that may progress into uh, in a very small number of people into a pneumonia, especially if you're older. But uh, shortness of breath, difficulty getting the oxygen into the lungs.
3: Anything you want to leave us with, Dr. Sly?
10: No. I think the, the main purpose of all of this uh, uh, social distancing is the medical system. It's not just another sector of society. The fact that it's a disease and we rely on the medical system to help us. In a large hospital, you may have thousands of uh, nurses, for example, and at 30%, you could see 300 of them off, and no hospital can run with that kind of thing. Uh, another 100 may be off because somebody in their family is already positive uh, is, is positive and they're in the quarantine. So now with 40% of the nurses and the medical staff and the laboratory people off, no hospital can run like that. And at the same time, at the front door, you've got 700 people and families with their relatives all in tow wanting to be led in for some attention. You can see the the impossibility of that kind of situation. So oh.
5: that's the top priority.
1: Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist and professor at the School of Public Health at Ryerson University, in conversation with Libby Snymer. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer Brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you
0: and your reaction to them on the phone. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a
1: lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Julia in Toronto, who's taking issue with what's become a household term during the COVID 19 crisis.
11: I want to address this term that has become so. Uh, mainstream social distancing. I read something from a psychologist who specializes in anxiety, and he suggested the word physical distancing, because we're really not trying to isolate ourselves socially, but really to, spread, to flatten the curve and reduce the spread of the virus physically. So we're very concerned right now about depression and anxiety, and I thought that would be something that would be a good change. You know, I already spend a lot of time alone because I work from home. But I have to say that um, this particular situation even affects me more than I would have expected. But I am trying to stay in touch with friends through the phone and other ways. So it's really the physical part that is more of an issue. And, um, and that's how the virus is spread. So I think people can remain socially in touch. But, as I said, the word physical distancing would maybe be more appropriate and accurate and would bring down the anxiety level of everyone.
1: And follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Paddy, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.